evidence and answers. James, a 90-year-old Buddhist, told his hospice chaplain Paul that he would never leave Buddhism for Jesus. It seemed an impossible mission, but after a few weeks, James accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What caused this miraculous transformation? And what can we learn from this wonderful encounter? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Now let's get right into the conclusion of Pat's interview with Chaplain Paul, who shares his story and presents insights and principles for us to applying when sharing Christ with our family and loved ones. This is a story that will inspire you and teach us all never to give up, no matter how resistant someone may be to the gospel message. He had a lot of things against becoming a Christian. So he shared them. He said, well, I know those Catholics, they eat fish on Fridays. And then his daughter was listening and said, Dad, you don't eat fish anyway. <laughs> so it was just something he was kind of presenting as like, oh, well, this is, this is my, my shield for the faith, like my shield to do this. He was concerned about having his life limited. He didn't like the idea of not being able to do whatever he wanted. His daughter then again chimed in, Dad, you don't go anywhere. You're on hospice. You're at home all day. You're not, you have no ability to go out and do anything that maybe Christianity would restrict you from. He wanted to honor his parents. His parents had lived in their 90s as well, had died many years ago. And the thought of doing something that was different than them was a struggle for him. He didn't want to let go of the traditions of the past to step into the new. I think that's a major yes. you know, hurdle for many yes. coming from Asia. Mm -hmm. you know, our ancestors have been Buddhists for generations. Mm -hmm. And... I don't want to dishonor them. Yeah. I think that's a major issue mm -hmm. there. So, yeah, well, I think we're all anxious to hear how you address that. <laughs> yes, a similar question. Like, like my parents never gave their life to Jesus. Like, does that mean that they're not in a better place right now? Like, I want to go wherever they are right now. And I shared with him that they have a, a wonderful opportunity to follow God. It says in Romans 1 and onward that... We all have a moral code that we know what is right and wrong. And we're going to be held accountable to that code that we all can see creation. We are human beings that have been designed by God. We see the trees outside. We see the planets, the stars, the constellations, the many, many millions and millions of cells in the human body and how complex each cell is. That all testifies to a designer. And we're accountable to know that there is a designer out there because of the fact that we're designed. So there's this sense of God available to everybody. So his parents have had that opportunity to believe in God through what has been already made presented to them. That made sense to him, but he still had this hesitancy to convert to Christianity because it was just such a strong thing to him. He, for 90 years, he's a Buddhist and he wasn't ready to make that decision. He says, if anybody's going to convert me, it's going to be my son. He's a good Christian. So time progressed. And I offered to have him listen to an episode of Evidence and Answers presented by Dr. Patrick Zucharin on the apologetics for Buddhists to become Christians. And his daughter connected with the iPad, had him listen to it. I visited the next time and it had made an impact on him. He said, he listened to it. It made sense. The idea that you cannot determine what you reincarnate into, that it's not something within our control was startling from him. 
one of the main reasons he didn't like the idea of Buddhists is because he was fearful that he would reincarnate into a woman. <laughs> and that wasn't something he controlled and that wasn't something he desired. So that wasn't something he, he liked. He didn't like the idea that the idea, the worldview behind Buddhism was unattainable. Like you cannot have zero attachment in this life. You cannot live this entire life and have a sense of separateness and a sense of zero suffering. There's, there's going to be suffering in this life post Genesis 3, the fall. We can't escape that unless we're with the Father God in heaven with Jesus. He didn't like the idea that he couldn't determine and know for sure whether or not he was going to reincarnate into the final state of nirvana. So he said, there's somebody that can convert me. It's my son. If he's here, it might happen. So we rested it there. A couple of weeks later, the daughter called and said, my dad wants to meet with you again. His son, my brother, are going to all meet. And let's see if God leads my dad to get saved. So we all meet in their home. We kind of review the gospel that has already been preached to him several times. And then this time, the son sits down with his dad. He opens up the Bible and he goes to John 3, 16. He says, dad, this is a popular passage. A lot of people know it. I think you might have heard this before, but I want to read it to you and share this with you. It says, for God so loved the world, dad, God loves you. And interestingly, this, this man is a theist in that he believes there is a God. So he's a, making progress. And the son continues, God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Dad, what it means here to perish is to go to hell. And that's somewhere that I'm not going to go. That's somewhere that your, my sister's not going. That's somewhere that your wife's not going. We're all going to heaven. And dad, we want you to be there too. Dad, we don't want you to perish. It says further in the passage that whoever believes in him, Jesus, will have eternal life. Dad, we want you to believe in Jesus. Meanwhile, the son has tears coming down his eyes as he's saying this. The dad has tears coming down his eyes because they're talking about the afterlife. He used the word hell. It's okay to use the word hell. It's a real place. And the son would not want his dad to go there. There was definitely the presence of the Holy Spirit in that room. There was loads of conviction. The dad was crying. The wife was crying. The kids were crying. I was crying. We share with him the gospel with more clarity. We review with him the shortcomings of Buddhism. And in his tears, he says, I prayed and I've asked God to forgive me of my sins. And if he would let me, I want to spend eternity with him in heaven. There was rejoicing in that room. We were clapping and we encouraged him further in the scriptures of how his salvation is secure, that it has a solid foundation that he is not going to, is not going to leave him that he has hope and that he has a security and the grace of Jesus Christ forgiving him of his sins. Only three weeks later, he died. He's now spending eternity with God in heaven. The family asked me to preach at the funeral and I asked them, okay, well, what can I do to best minister to you guys at the funeral? And they said, we want you to preach the gospel. We want you to tell all of our Buddhist relatives what has happened in this man's life, what was important, to get him to convert from Buddhism to Christianity, because we have Buddhist relatives that are coming to this funeral and we want them to hear the gospel. So they said, basically, just everything you shared with our dad, share at the funeral. And so I did that and uh, praise God. The gospel was preached, apologetics was used, and God was glorified. Yeah, I see a few things uh, in this story that I commonly hear. You know, you approach the guy 
who was pretty much set in his ways, mm-hmm. what we might call hard soil. Mm-hmm. And he had to first soften up that soil or soften the heart so that he'd be ready to receive the gospel. And I see that, you know, tell us what role did apologetics have in softening the soil there? I think it was the most important piece. Uh, So many people have questions and they don't get answers. They need answers. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. That word evidence in the Greek is apologia. It's to give a defense. It's not a suggestion. It's what God is communicating to his church. I gave that man evidences. I gave him a defense for the gospel. He had so many questions, probably 30 questions. And each time there was an answer, it was peeling back the onion skin, so to speak, of to get to the heart of the issue of, of what it was keeping him from accepting the gospel. Yeah. Now, you know, you didn't have maybe every single answer, and none of us really do to the questions people have. And, you know, we don't need to be able to answer every single question that comes up, but we need to be as equipped and prepared as much as possible to answer the major kind of questions that he's asking. And the more we're prepared, the more questions we can address, really the sharper and better tool we can be in the, in the hands of God at a moment like that. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Some people pursue something and they get educated on it and they become extras at it. Why? Because they love it and they want to share it with other people. Some people watch Star Wars and Star Trek and they become experts of each episode and can quote scenes. Well, why not we switch that focus to scripture to understand what God says so that we can share that with others. If we spend as much time as we would on social media, on videos on demand, as we did in scripture, how much more would we have the evidences ready to share with those who need it? And so that's what apologetics does. It knocks down the intellectual barriers that keep people captive or keep them from seriously considering mm-hmm. the gospel of Christ. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish mm-hmm. all arguments and every pretension and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Often before people will seriously consider the message of the gospel, you got to demolish those strongholds, mm-hmm. that those intellectual barriers and arguments that they have that keep them really from receiving the gospel message of Christ. So we see over time you saw this man's heart softening as he saw that their best answers mm-hmm. come from the Christian worldview and the Bible, that there's compelling evidence for faith in Christ. But I think also the next step then, as he got more open, I'm kind of interested. He said, if anyone's going to lead me to Christ, it's going mm-hmm. to be my son. Yes. He's a good Christian. Yes. So tell us why that is important for every Christian as well. Obviously, this young man had been living Mm -hmm. on his faith consistently for many years. Absolutely. Yeah, the son was in his 60s. Um, The father was in his, he was 90 years old. He saw a wonderful track record of his son living out the Christian walk. It goes back to our worldview discussion from earlier. If we say we're believers of Jesus, our actions should reflect that worldview that we hold in our morality, in our perception of time, everything. His son was a faithful Christian living out that genuine Judeo-Christian worldview. And it wasn't just a verbal message. It was a life demonstration that was something to consider for the father, who was a Buddhist. 
Yeah, so just to encourage the Christians out there, you may be faithfully living out yeah. your faith for Christ, and you're wondering, gosh, does it have any impact on my cousins and family members here? I've been living faithfully for Christ all these years. Mm-hmm. Do they even notice? Does it even have an impact? Oh, well, yeah. in stories like this, and I can tell you dozens of others, that it certainly does. Amen. What if your family member is 66 years old? Well, this guy got saved and he was 90 years old, three weeks before he died. And the son, I'm sure, was making a pot. I know, I would talk to them. He was preaching the gospel to his dad all the way up into the son's age of 60-something years old. So I encourage those who are listening, don't give up. Always keep walking out that Christian worldview with faithfulness and be expectant and be obedient when the doors open to preach the gospel. Yes. So like I teach in my classes, I said, God does not bypass the mind to speak to the heart. Mm -hmm. So someone's got to understand the message. But then, of course, the next question is, why should I believe it? Mm -hmm. All right. And that's where apologetics comes in. And once they say, okay, there's enough evidence to believe or it's reasonable to believe, then the message can get to the heart. So God doesn't bypass the mind to speak to the heart. And I believe that's the process that I see many times, just like you're sharing with your friend in this particular instance. Absolutely. God wants to reach people through our minds. What does it say in Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. And Isaiah, it says, come let us reason together. It says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, renew your mind. God has an importance that he places on the intellect, and it's often a place that people can choose to put up walls against the gospel. So by all means, there is an intellectual apologetic route to receive the gospel. Yes. Now, what can people do to help their Buddhist families and friends come to know Christ? Great question. Number one, pray. There is power in prayer. It says in James that the affectionate, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So number one, pray. Number two, live out the gospel implicitly and explicitly. I believe St. Francis has said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Um, St. Francis said that, not Jesus. But there's importance in the idea behind that. And that is let your life be a message of hope. Let your life be a message of love and faithfulness and fidelity and that which the gospel represents. Thirdly is use the opportunities we have to preach the gospel explicitly with your mouth, share the gospel. The gospel has been presented thousands of times over across the world, and it's been effective and people have been getting saved. We look at the book of Acts and 60% of that book is people using words to preach the gospel. So there's a necessary, there's a necessity for exemplifying the gospel with, with our lives, but there's also the necessity of preaching the gospel with our words. Yeah, so the two need to come together. You need Mm -hmm. to have the message, but also the life to back up that message. Right, it goes back, exactly, it goes back to our worldview question. If we say that we are Buddhists, but we can never have attachment in this life, we're living as basically hypocrites. If we say we are followers of Jesus, but we're not overall having a focused effort to live for Jesus, that is hypocrisy as well. Well, you know, you work with a lot of patients who are in their final days, do you see a difference between how a Christian faces death compared to someone from a different worldview or religion? Absolutely. 
people that are of faith that have families surrounding them that are encouraging them they are ready to die with comfort and they look forward to it and they're excited to meet jesus they're excited to meet their parents again the faithful parents that have followed jesus the loved ones there's a holy expectation for what's coming folks that aren't saved often are scared I'm not categorically speaking this over everyone, but a lot of my patients, some of my patients are scared to die. They're nervous about it. They don't know what's happening next or the worldview that they hold to about the next step doesn't bring them as much comfort as the Christians, as the Christian worldview would bring them. Yeah. And do you sense a openness at that moment for people to share the gospel? I mean, for me, I was surprised at some of the reactions I got from people in their final moments. But uh, what about you? People are often consistent, and but sometimes people give you surprises. The consistent people, they hate God from an early age or a middle age, and then in their senior years, they're still cursing God at death. And it's, it's a sad sight because it says in the book of Matthew that God holds us accountable for our words and it holds us accountable to what we do. So when you're cursing God right before you die, I don't suggest that. There are folks that they become different right before death because it's so evident that something significant is about to happen. and They'll say, Chaplain, what's happening? Like, what's going to happen next? Like, when I die, what's, what does that look like? Sometimes the patient has already passed and I'm talking to the family member and they're asking me, where is mom? Where is dad? Where's my uncle? Where's my aunt? And we can have that conversation of potentially of that family member joining the deceased patient or ending up in a place that is better than where that other patient just went. Uh, it's pretty evident to many of us who have known you uh, for the past few years that you're gifted in the area of evangelism. That's probably one of your spiritual gifts there. But what advice would you have for those who are not so gifted in evangelism that maybe have a fear of sharing their faith? What kind of advice can you give them and how to equip themselves to be better at sharing our faith with our friends and family members and coworkers who don't know Christ? Well, thank you, Dr. Patrick, for the compliment. I personally don't believe I'm any better at sharing my faith than anyone else. I think the guidebook to share the gospel, it says in Acts 1.8, to wait into the city of Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high, and you'll be witnesses into the uttermost parts of the earth, like Samaria, Judea, Galilee, etc. So being, being empowered by the Holy Spirit is something that we all have freely available to us. So I would just increase your awareness of God's enabling of you to preach the gospel. Know that it's a commandment that Jesus told us to do it in Matthew 28. So don't think that it's an option that you get to choose to do. Know that it's a requirement that you have to do. Also know that the motivation behind it, it often says in the gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion and that he did something. Grow in your compassion to preach the gospel. Know the finality, know the destination of people who don't know Jesus in the afterlife. Read the Gospels fresh. Read the epistles about hell. It's terrible. Know what people will experience if they don't get saved. And that should lead you to compassion, at least to share the Gospel, because who would ever want that upon anybody? And people choose that upon themselves when they don't choose God. They're forsaking God. So know the finality of not choosing God. Let that motivate you. Know the glories of heaven. Let the, the beauties of what God is offering in the afterlife for them be a motivation for you to preach the gospel, to invite them in that blessing. It says in the scriptures and Psalms that in the presence of God is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It says there will be no more weeping or crying. There will be no more death. That is a beautiful, glorious place to be. 
with God himself. So what people should do to motivate themselves to preach the gospel is know the realness of hell, know the glories of heaven, know that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to preach the gospel, and continually edify yourself with instruction that will help you preach the gospel. Listen to the radio show, Evidence and Answers. Read Dr. Patrick's books. I've read his books. They've helped me. Read other apologists, Dr. Walter Martin, um, Lee Strobel. There's a host of other people, William Lane Craig, Ravi Zacharias. There's a many apologists out there that can feed your soul and how to better preach the gospel. Yes, and how does it feel to share your faith? It's one of the best joys there are. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel great, you know, not only when people come to accept Christ, you know, of course, there's no better feeling than that. But even if they don't receive Christ, I mean, it mm -hmm. feels great to obey God and having done what he commands and to walk in that obedience. But also as you get better, mm -hmm. you know, at it, you realize you're planting seeds. And mm -hmm. that brings to me almost as much joy as seeing someone come to faith in Christ, that, you know, you got them one step closer. The heart is beginning to soften and someone else will come along and water uh, that seed that was planted. But it's a really joyous feeling to know that I'm obeying God, I'm doing his will, and he's using me to touch and impact people's lives. How, do, how does it make you feel when you're sharing your faith? The same as what you just described. It is so much joy. I believe that when we're using our spiritual gifts, when we're being obedient to God, he honors that, he blesses that. And it's a joy that is not very comparable. I remember when I was 14 years old, I was reading a Christian biographer write about these mighty men of the faith who have started Christian movements, Bibles, colleges, helped save thousands of people. And he said to the reader, me at 14 years old, I want you to experience the joy of evangelism and seeing souls one for Christ. And that puzzled me as a 14 year old boy. I was like, wow, I feel charged. I feel challenged to go do that. And life progressed. Opportunities came. I preached the gospel, shared my faith. People got saved. And it's a joy that I don't want to stop experiencing. Yes. And a lot of Christians, you know, miss out on that joy because if surveys are true, the vast majority of Christians really have never shared yeah. their faith in Christ. Right. Yeah. So go out there and change the statistics. <laughs> <laughs> One final question for you. A lot of people don't like to be in hospice care mm -hmm. kind of work because mm -hmm. it can be very depressing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're talking about people that are facing the end of their life. Yeah. How do you overcome that? Or has your experience been different? That's a good question. Um, there's, I want to meet the question with, you know, stories like there's patients that I have that are in a non-responsive state. They, their personality isn't being exuded. They can't talk. They can't speak. They can't move their body. And I haven't built a relationship with them. And when they die, it's not as hurtful as the patients that I build a strong connection with. They can talk. They can share with me their stories where I'm being their chaplain, their pastor for months on end. And then when they die, there's such a strong emotional bond that has been built with them. When they do die, it's sad. Jesus wept in John 10, 38. He cried in John 14. It's an okay thing to miss loved ones. How do I continue to be a chaplain in this environment with patients dying continually? I realize that this isn't my burden to bear, that it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxieties on God for he cares for you. So I'm going to give it to Jesus. These patients are his. It says, I believe in Matthew 18, that the Lord builds his church, that these patients are his patients. They're not necessarily mine. And that I'm just going to let him steward them. I'm going to let him be the owner of them. 
and I'm just with them for a season to help them transition into heaven, to help them process dying. So I don't take ownership of their lives. I don't take ownership of their stories. I try to live out Matthew 11, which says, God's yoke is easy. His burden is light. So I, I let him carry that burden. I let him take it, and I don't hold it. Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Chaplain Paul. He's a hospice chaplain. He's also a chaplain in the military as well. So Chaplain, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers and sharing your experience with us. Thank you, Dr. Patrick. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarat.